Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester here in the UK. Chamakar Sandu from Toronto over there in Canada. And we've got a lot to discuss on this week's show. We have a whole load of MMA coming our way this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Bellator are back. And of course, the final UFC Fight Island card is coming our way on Saturday night. But before we get to any of that, we've got two fight cards to look back at. Sandu, have you managed to cram any sleep into your schedule over the last week or so? It has been pretty much full on. We've either been previewing fights, watching fights, reviewing fights. It's been it's been full on and it's been great. It has. It's been busy, but it's been good. No complaints on my side. I've been super busy working for BT Sport behind the scenes. And yeah, the train is not ending, is it? We've got another big UFC card, arguably the biggest fight night card uh, in a while. If you look at the names on the bill, um, definitely the biggest uh, non-pay-per-view event maybe of the year so far. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then outside of obviously the UFC, like you said, it genuinely feels like now business is back. It's all you know back to normal again. All the other players are now kind of figuring out how best to put on events. And so it's good for the sport, good for the industry. Yeah, definitely. And we've got Cage Warriors coming back in September with three nights of MMA at the end of September, uh, starting on my birthday, actually. So it's going to be like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They're doing consecutive back-to-back shows uh, behind closed doors in uh, in Manchester. So everyone's gradually working their way back. And um, the UFC have led the way with this. Let's be honest. You know, they've gone out on a limb. They were being criticised in some quarters. They've made it happen, and they've made it happen safely. I mean, you look at the news with the amount of failed tests covid tests we're seeing in professional football in in uh, nfl in nba major league baseball all other sports you know all these other big sports in the states the ufc have kept a lid on this pretty well really and when there have been the odd uh positive test they've managed to isolate them away and we haven't had that that mini outbreak within the ufc bubble which has been really really good to see um we had two fight night cards this past week, so let's let's rewind things back to midweek, uh, Wednesday night last week, where we had um, UFC Fight Island. I suppose they call this this one. I think they called Fight Island One because uh, we had it's kind of confusing numbering convention because obviously the first Fight Island card was UFC Two Fifty One. Then we had uh, UFC on ESPN Thirteen, which they were calling UFC Fight Island One. Calvin Cater versus Dan Ige in the main event. This this uh, main card, Sandu, we were kind of we were kind of led on a little bit because the prelims were brilliant. We had loads of finishes in the prelims, uh, some really interesting performances, some real breakout performances as well. That led into the main card, and the main card was just decisions all the way. Uh, Calvin Cater, the most the most notable of the lot, getting the win against Dan Ige, Sandu. Yeah, respect to anyone in the UK and Ireland and that part of the world that stayed up uh, midweek to uh, see the end and the conclusion of this fight card. Because, like you said, every main card fight went the absolute distance. But uh, the big story coming out of this one was a brand new contender at £145. Calvin Cater defeats Danny Gay by unanimous decision. Very easy to score. Absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. He was the dominant fighter of the two competitors. And... Yeah, it was just a great result for Calvin Cater. I mean, you know, it was a bit of a risk uh, taking this fight. Normally, you know, 
when fighters have a ranking by their name, they'll want to fight somebody that's ahead of them in the pecking order because then you're, you're starting to climb that ladder. It wasn't the case with Danny Gay. Danny Gay was in his rearview mirror. So respect to Calvin uh, for taking the fight in the first place. Uh, good opportunity, obviously. It's always nice to kind of uh, have a, have the chance to main event a UFC card because it just puts a, a big spotlight on you. Man, his boxing was so freaking crisp. Um, you know, he may have the best hands in that division. And that's saying something given the other players in at 145 pounds. And so you've got to think now that win, Simon, that Calvin's got to got to fight someone ahead of him. No more um, looking back. And I personally think the fight to make is Max Holloway. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the UFC make uh, a third Volkanovski-Holloway fight. Initially, in the aftermath, I thought that's probably what they would do. And who knows? We've seen strange things in the sport happen before. Uh, but if they don't, I think Max Holloway needs a fight with a top contender to kind of almost earn another crack at the title. And uh, for Calvin Cater, he needs a big name. And if you look at the, the rankings as they, as they currently stand, ahead of Calvin Cater right now, you've got Yaya Rodriguez, you've got Chan Sung Jung, you've got Brian Ortega, Zabit Magomed Sheripov, Max Holloway, and then you've got the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky. You, you, you'd like to think that the way, the way things are shaping up in that division, that the Brian Ortega Korean zombie fight is going to happen. That's going to materialize. And the Yero Rodriguez and the Zabit Magomed Sheripov a matchup that's going to materialize so the only other player you know you know fighter that's kind of left there is max holloway um we'll see if he ends up getting it i thought it was a little bit simon of a missed opportunity on calvin's part for in the post fight um interview to not call out max holloway i think if he had done that then it would have been an absolute slam dunk he ended up calling out alexander volkanovsky and i just noticed in the last couple of days he started to do a few more interviews and now He's starting to mention Max's name, uh, but that is just kind of like really nitpicking on on what was essentially a fantastic performance and a good result for him. Yeah, definitely, and and I think you were spot on. I think you you uh, you sort of called this before time as well. I think on the show you said that if if Calvin Cater wins, he should be absolutely going after uh, Max Holloway because that is the only obvious fight to make. Um, above him in those rankings, as you said, it looks like these other two pairings look like they're going to get booked. Um, Volkanovski, they may well, well, I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I mean, you know, I think he's going to take some time out. That's for sure. He's going to take a little bit of time out and get himself back. But um, there's a little tournament happening just below him and Cater needs to beat somebody above him. And the only available guy that isn't the champion is Max Holloway. So interesting to see what he does. As you said again, Danny gave super dangerous fight for him. Got the job done. Great performance. We have wins for Tim Elliott, Jimmy Rivera, and uh, Taylor Santos, who beat uh, Britain's own Molly McCann. Santos looked outstanding in that fight. McCann, I think, was a, a reasonable favourite going into that one, but Santos put in a great performance. But we've got to talk about the first main card fight of the night, and it was the fight of the night. Munir Lazez against Abdul Razak Al Hassan who came out and threw the kitchen sink at uh, Lazez. And uh, Lazez took an incredible amount of punishment and then just grinned and then came firing back. And between the pair of them, they served up the fight of the night. It was a great, great matchup. Lazez got the nod um, on the judges' scorecards, 30-27 twice and 29-28. And uh, the only sort of blotch on the performance if you like was the fact that Al Hassan missed weight 
So he wasn't eligible for the 50 grand bonus. So for all of that great display in defeat, he didn't get the 50G bonus. One man's bad news is another man's good news. They took that money and created another performance of the night bonus. And that went to Modestus Bukowskis, uh, the former Cage Warriors champion from right here in London, England, um, representing Lithuania and uh, and the UK. He got a 50 grand bonus as the third performance of the night. But Lezez versus Al Hassan Sandu, we've been talking about these fight of the year contenders and this list is getting longer and longer. You can stick this one on the list. It probably won't be at the very top at the end of the year, but this will be one to pull out towards the end of the year when we look back and go, that was a crazy fight. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to note that for Al Hassan, this was his kind of first fight in a, in a hot minute. You know, the last time he was in the cage was September of 2018. So it's coming up to almost two years out. And I have to say, for that amount of time out of the cage um, and not kind of uh, getting that, uh, getting those reps in. But on, on top of that, just dealing with what he's had to deal with uh, in his personal life. Um, he made a good account of himself and he's a tough cookie, man. Like Munir Lezez really had to, to put it on him. And I think any other any other fire would have probably got, got finished. And so that's a testament to how tough Al Hassan is. But like you said, Lezez was one of many pr- prospects. Uh, and I think that's the, the correct label at this stage of their careers who really made a good account of themselves. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, Modestus Bukowskis, another Brit who had a great performance was Lerone Murphy. He defeated uh, Ricardo Ramos uh, via first round TKO. Uh, if people don't know about him, it, his name's the Miracle, right, Simon? Not the Miracle Man, it's the Miracle, correct? It's the Miracle, yeah. He got shot in the face, Sandu. Yeah. Uh, and somehow um, <laughs> managed to survive. I, I, I would call that a miracle. Yeah, it's funny, man. Uh, my name means Miracle. Uh, in in Punjabi actually uh, so uh, that's the one thing and the only thing I've got in common with Lauren Murphy I'm not a fighter and I haven't been shot in the face um, but yeah I mean incredible story he got shot in the face and he just spat the bullets out in, insane story um, and you know he's obviously uh, got his life on the right path uh, and off the, and off the bad path and he's now a professional fighter for the UFC so uh, and, and you know look um, he, he made a good obviously performed really well made a good account of himself he, 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 I think he's made a connection with Dana White there was a great moment after the fight where Dana White looked absolutely shook when Lerone Murphy was kind of like you know making a beeline for him you know with, with only the cage separating them and then yeah outside of that Jack Shaw opened the night uh, the Welshman fantastic performance against Aaron Phillips, second round submission via rear naked choke. He's another great prospect to look out for. So uh, all in all, it wasn't a clean sweep for the Brits, Simon, uh, but a lot of good wins for debutants and prospects. And, and it's a very exciting time. And it's a, another testament to the regional circuit in the UK and Ireland, uh, especially led by cage warriors who seem to be this kind of conveyor belt, this pathway uh, to the UFC. Uh, no knock uh, for any of the guys that fight for, for Bellator or any other promotion. Uh, but when you're looking at the biggest spotlight, um, the the biggest kind of, I suppose, platform to, to make a name for yourself and uh, essentially make the most money as things currently stand in this business and in, in this industry, it is the UFC. So uh, a credit to the lads who, uh, who made a name for themselves on that Wednesday night. Yeah, there are actually four former Cage Warriors champions on that card. And they went two and two on the night. Molly McCann and Chris Fishgold, unfortunately, didn't get didn't get the wins they were after. 
but uh, Modestus Bukowskis and Jack Shaw did. Uh, very, very quickly, Jared Gordon got the win over Chris Fishgold. He had an incredible lead up to the fight. Um, the sort of build up that no one, no one would, would wish on anybody. His wife had had a miscarriage. Then she got COVID. Then um, he, he basically had to leave straight away. Um, then all of his cornermen got COVID. Um, then he got a false positive upon arrival in Abu Dhabi. So he arrived he, after they cleared his his uh, his false positive. He then had to had to get ready for a fight with no corner. Um, Paul Felder ended up in the corner with him, uh, and uh, Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture stepped in and was his main corner for the fight. He put on a great performance and got a win. Kamzat Chimaev is the guy to watch from this event. He beat John Phillips with ease, fighting at middleweight. Darce choke second round. He's fighting this Saturday night, Sandu, against another Cage Warriors fighter, Reese McKee. Kamzat Chimaev is a natural welterweight. He will be fighting at 170 this coming weekend against Reese McKee. Um, he's definitely one to watch. He uh, He's out of Sweden, but he's born from uh, Chechnya, and he's got that that Khabib-esque grappling game. Great performance against John Phillips, but John Phillips is a pure striker. How will he do against a more a more well-rounded uh, European striker fight, striker-based MMA fighter next time round? We will find out on Saturday night. It was a good fun card in midweek. Um, main card didn't quite deliver the, the amount of excitement that we got on the prelims, but we had plenty to talk about the following weekend. Uh, UFC Fight Island 2 or UFC on ESPN Plus 30. Um, we had all sorts going on on this card. Top of the bill, of course, was the rematch for the UFC flyweight title. Still vacant after Henry Cejudo uh, relinquished the belt earlier this year. Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Benavidez. Figueredo beat Benavidez the first time round, but had missed weight in the lead up. This time round, no problems for Figueredo. Makes weight with ease and beats Joseph Benavidez in one of the most one-sided title fights I think we've seen in quite some time. It was a one-sided battering. Uh, he dropped Benavidez at least three times with strikes and then uh, choked him out with uh, a rear naked choke with about uh, 12 seconds of the first round to go. As performances go to win a belt, you won't find too many more dominant than that, Sandy. That was that was pretty scary stuff from Davison Figueredo. It was, and he looked like an absolute killer. If that first round had gone the distance, the four or five minutes, I think we'd be talking about a very rare 10-7 round because it was completely one-sided, absolutely dominant, and he genuinely makes me excited about the future of the 125-pound division in the UFC. I know for a long time there was a lot of umming and ahhing and will the UFC and will Dana White just absolutely kibosh and nullify and get rid of the, the flyweight division. When you've got a guy like that, A, who fights like that, looks, looks, the, looks the part, um, and he represents a very important market for the UFC in Brazil, he, I think all of a sudden he ticks a lot of boxes and... He's at the right stage of his career where he could go on a massive run now. And if he can continue to put on performances like that, I just don't see how he's going to be stopped anytime soon. Um, fantastic performance. Got a feel for Joe Benavidez. He's probably up there now uh, in the conversation, at the very least, as one of the best fighters to have not won a UFC championship, uh, especially given how many opportunities he's actually had. Uh, so absolutely gutted for him. 
uh, I don't think you'll be getting another flyweight title fight ever again. Um, again, stranger things have happened, but I doubt it at this stage of his career. Um, he said in his post-fight uh, media scrum that he has no intentions of retiring. Uh, and essentially, this is not the the way he wants to kind of leave and go out of the sport. Um, so look look for him to try and maybe get another few fights uh, before he calls time and, uh, and and maybe leave out on a high note. But man, Davis and Figueredo, he, he looks the business, Simon. I'm really excited and I'm really happy for him because I think coming out of their first fight, there was a lot of drama and controversy and all, and all the rest of it. And obviously a lot of that was his fault for not making weight. This time around, he made weight, no dramas, no controversy, absolutely no doubt. He is the best 125 pound fighter in the world right now. Yeah, and to me, that is the biggest question mark. How long can he stay? A 125 pound fighter because he's big for the division. I mean, the size difference between him and Benavidez was pretty, pretty jarring to see on fight night. And uh, we know he's missed weight in the past, um, so he's obviously he's obviously tight at the weight. The question now is he hasn't even got the one pound leeway that he used to have as well. So he's got to be hitting 125 on the nose every single time he goes out to fight now. Otherwise, he loses his belt. So. That's going to be the real, the real interesting thing to watch from him. Brandon Moreno, to me, looks like the obvious guy who's next in line. He's ranked third in the official UFC flyweight rankings. But keep an eye on Asgar Askarov, who uh, put on a great performance to defeat Alexandra Pantoja earlier in the night. Um, he's going to be a very tough, a very tough proposition for whoever he faces next. Uh, the flyweight division is beginning to experience a little bit of movement now after years of relative stagnation it's been pretty pretty slow in the past now we're beginning to see some fresh blood at the top of the division we're beginning to see some new contenders emerging exciting times for the flyweight division in the ufc as for joe benavidez i don't really know where he goes in the ufc from here i mean if he can get himself out of his ufc contract and get over to one championship then uh, i think he would be a lovely fit for them he's got the clean cut image he comes across very well He's a good guy. They love the good guy athletes over there in one championship. And he could revitalize his career um, over there in Asia. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where his career goes from here. And he's still, even though he lost in pretty devastating fashion to Figueredo, he is still one of the top two or three 25ers in the UFC. So uh, it'd be interesting to see where he goes from here. From 25ers to 85ers the 185 division there is a whole load going on there we we had announced this week or confirmed this week Israel Adesanya is going to be taking on Paolo Costa at UFC 253 and we had the emergence of a new contender in the co-main event Jack Hermanson versus Kelvin Gastelum I think we were all interested to see how that fight would go uh, I certainly thought Gastelum was going to win that fight the fight lasted 78 seconds it was absolutely crazy. Hill hook submission. Jack Hermanson. Um, you can't get much better than that if you want to make a statement. And uh, he is now a major, major problem at 185 pounds, Sandu. He certainly is. I mean, almost flawless. Pretty much flawless. I mean, a minute and 18 seconds to take out Kelvin Gastelum. My word. Fantastic. And he needed to do that just to kind of make sure that people... Didn't think he was just, you know, being fed to gas to gas them to kind of get back in the win column because for for Jack Manson this was a very important fight and he needed to get back into the win column himself. And I think that any momentum that perhaps 
may have been a little bit derailed with the loss of Jared Cannonier. He's got it all back and then some because that was fantastic. It really was. And now if you look at his last, you know, what, four or five uh, fights, you take out, you take away the loss to Jared Cannonier for a second. He's got a win over Kelvin Gastelum. He's got a win over Jacare Souza, David Branch, uh, Gerard Mishka and Talis Leites. I mean, that's pretty damn good. And he's not going to be fighting for a title anytime soon, but man, He's going to probably fight a top contender or there or thereabouts. He may be just a win away from legitimizing himself as a proper title contender. But regardless, man, so happy for him because he just exudes happiness. He's always smiling and he's always having a good time. Seems like a good guy himself. And man, just so, so happy for him. And I don't know where Calvin Gaston goes from, from here, to be honest with you, because obviously, you know, we, you know, he's had issues in the past at welterweight. He made the move to 185 pounds and now man it's tough isn't it simon i mean if you look at his record he's not exactly fighting chumps right he he lost to israel adesanya the current champion he's lost to darren till um uh, which was a split decision but you know still and now he's lost uh by finish jack manson so you know if you look at it, it the competition with all due respect to everyone in the division you go from champion to someone a little bit further down the pecking order and someone further down the pecking order again in Jack Comanson. And he's now on his worst run in his professional MMA career. Three losses in a row. Um, I think he's going to probably reevaluate some things, uh, figure out how best to put his game plan all together. And I think if you're the UFC and you're the matchmakers, you don't give him anyone that's, you know, highly ranked i think you've got to almost build kelvin gastelum up from scratch in that middleweight division and kind of get help get his mojo going and help him get back on on the win column again yeah i think ian heinish is the fight to give him next i think ian heinish is a guy who is just outside of that contender status he's on a bit of a charge i think it's the perfect test for him you basically put kelvin gastelum in that gatekeeper spot for one fight and you say beat this guy you back up with the big guys Lose this fight, you got some. You got some work to do. You're going to start fighting some prospects. So, I think for Gastelum, it's a case of executing. We all know the abilities there. You know he has proved it time and time again. He can hang with the best guys on the planet. If you can push Israel Adesanya as hard as he did, um, and give give him his hardest fight, um, then you know that he's got it in. He's got it in the locker to be a world championship level fighter. And I don't know whether it's just a little mental tweak. That needs to be made, or whether he just needs a change, change of scenery, or, or I, I don't know what it is, but he just needs to make a little change. You know, it's just fine margins at the highest level of this sport, and he made one mistake against Jack Hermanson, and at that level, one mistake is all it takes, and Hermanson absolutely capitalised. Great win for him, and uh, that's that's another Cage Warriors star um, doing the business in the UFC. Uh, the big travesty of that fight, I've just checked. Jack Hermanson did not get a bonus for that performance, which astounds me. Absolutely astounds me. But it was one of those nights where there were so many great performances. The fight of the night preceded that one. Rafael Fiziev versus Mark Ducasey. If you heard me talking about this fight in the lead-up, I've been banging on about it to anybody who's prepared to listen. Anything I've done leading up to that event that had me in front of a microphone, I've been saying... Watch this fight. It is going to absolutely steal the show. And boy, did it. Raphael Fiziev pulling out moves from the Matrix. 
uh, leaning back away from uh, head kicks from Mark Jacquesi and then lighting him up with some of the some of the slickest striking we've seen for a very long time at 155 pounds. When he's on form like that, Fiziev is a problem for anybody in that division. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing just how far he can go. Jacquesi loses out, but actually didn't do himself too much harm. He, he played his part in a really entertaining fight. They both got a $50,000 bonus. What did you make of that fight, Sando? I thought that was it was outstanding. Yeah, it was fight of the night for me. I, I thought it was a shoe in even after that fight, even with you know the co-main and main event to go. I just didn't see how that was going to be topped. And I think it's almost like a bit of a silver lining for GKC. It was obviously going to be a tough fight for him going in. Obviously, those that know about Rafael Fizier's background knew that he wasn't just going to be someone that GKC could absolutely walk over. Not at all. This was a tough fight. Uh, but for, for him to get that 50K uh, will we'll do him good. And, and I'm glad to see how he's kind of reacted on social media by kind of essentially saying, look, you know, that 50K has now kind of almost motivated me to kind of go back into the gym um, and level up again, get better and come back. So Rafael Fiziev, man, like, yeah, like you said, Simon, you, you were big on him on our preview show last week. He delivered the goods. I'm excited to see how far he can go. He's obviously predominantly a striker, just given his background. You mentioned the moves from the Matrix. I saw some clips on social media go around. This isn't the first time um, he showcased his uh, limbo skills, um, but he's done it in uh, in Muay Thai before. It'll be interesting to see when he comes up against the real elite of the lightweight division, or at least guys that are in the kind of the top fifteen that are more well-rounded and have a really good ground game. To see how he kind of can uh, can hold up his skills against that kind of challenge but right before that we had arguably simon arguably the most gruesome finish of 2020 so far Ariane lipsky uh some call her the queen of violence i like to call her the violence queen that kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit better for me anyway she defeated luana carolina by first round knee bar submission and if you haven't seen it, but I'm sure pretty much everyone has at this point, go online uh, or just type her name into or this particular fight into Google Images and you'll see the graphic image of a leg being bent in the wrong direction. And uh, yeah, that was that was pretty damn gruesome. And honestly, it was definitely worthy of a 50k performance of the night bonus. And to be fair to Ariane Lipsky, she's finally now starting to showcase what a lot of people had seen her do in KSW before. She made her UFC debut at the beginning of 2019 and she was thrown right into the mix with someone like Joanne Calderwood, lost against Joanne Calderwood. After that, Molly McCann, lost against Molly McCann. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, you know, is she really going to be, you know, UFC rated talent, you know, really real elite level fighter. But she's turned it around. Now it's two back-to-back wins. Um, she's starting to kind of get into her groove. I'm excited to see how far she can go. But man, the Queen of Violence absolutely delivered on on Saturday night side. Yeah, it was a great performance, and uh, I know she does a lot of work at the UFC uh, Performance Institute um, over there in 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 Las Vegas. I've seen her over there a couple of times when I've been I've been over there in 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 the uh, in the fight capital of the world, and um, clearly. Clearly, her game has been leveling up. Um, you know, she she was pretty dominant uh, during her run as KSW champion. You know, she's finishing people left and right. 
um, and doing it pretty quickly as well. I think she had like three first round finishes in a row um, as she picked up the, the KSW title. And since she's joined the UFC, she's kind of gone into a run of decisions, as you say, first two sort of gone against her but then she won last time out and then most recently she got that knee bar the thing about the the thing about the knee bar as well as the fact that the knee bar is one of the it's one of those submissions that when i see it it just makes me go a bit it just gives me you know it, it makes the skin crawl a little bit i don't know what it is about the I, it's, it's something about the knee bending the other way i i i can watch an arm bar i can watch a kimura i can watch all of that which she exerts equal equal force on a joint you know um and but then you just look at a knee bar and it just looks it looks so bad but um it was her facial expression as well because you know she she's a very happy smiley character when you see her outside of the cave and then all of a sudden she just sort of put this face on it was like and then just sort of yanked the leg and it was like wow okay she's quite scary and um a huge win for her that's back-to-back wins in the ufc for, for for Ariane Lipsky, as you say, 50, 50 G bonus. Kicking off the main card, I just alluded to it earlier, actually. Asgar Asgarov beating Alexandra Pantoja. Uh, unanimous decision. Pantoja started that fight really well, was chasing submissions for almost the first two minutes of that fight. Asgarov rallied, um, and I think most people after a, a start like that would have thought, right, I'm going to keep it standing. Not if you're Asgar Asgarov. He lives on the mat. He's... One of the uh, one of the most decorated flyweight wrestlers to come out of Dagestan. He is that's that's where he excels. And in the end, it was conditioning and pace just completely helped him get past Alexander Pantoja. Loads of good stuff on the on 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 the prelims. You know, we are the Brit Pack. Uh, Nad Naramani lost out to Grant Dawson, which tells me how good Grant Dawson is because Grant Dawson just pushed the pace on a guy who is known for pushing the pace. Um, and uh, got a pretty clear decision win. Joe Duffy lost out and uh, to Joel Alvarez. Very surprising in terms of the way that he lost that and uh, announced his retirement after that fight, Sandu. I mean, did that did that one come out of left field and surprise you as much as it did me? Because I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, uh, and for it to be literally right after the fight, you know, sometimes you're in, you know at the height of your emotions, whether you win or lose. Um, but, I mean, if you look at it, He's been on a bad run side, three losses in a row. And if you look at the competition, James Vick, Mark Giacchese, Joe Alvarez. And at this level, you know, if, you, if you're not able to pick up wins against that level of competition, then when, when you're at the, at the mindset of, oh, am I going to ever fight for a title or top contenders or main event cards, you know, losses like that, and especially on the run that he's been on, where do you go? You know, where do you go? And people have to remember, he doesn't just have a, a background in MMA. He's got a, a background in boxing as well. So, and kickboxing. So, you know, he's uh, he's an overall combat sports fighter. He's 32. And, um, yeah, look, you know, when a fighter decides to call time, you you have to respect it. Only, only that individual knows when uh, enough's enough and whether they can in a hang at the very top level um it's just when you when you look in in hindsight everyone's different everyone's got different personalities it's such a shame that when he had momentum going his way uh, a few years ago when he got a couple of wins uh, in the ufc that he wasn't trying to build some momentum 
through interviews, social media, what you know, whatever you want to you know utilize in this day and age to try and get that Conor McGregor rematch, because this man has a win over the biggest star in the history of this sport, and a rematch in the UFC would have been huge. But like you know, like I said, everyone's got a different different personality. You know, if if that was say uh, the personality of I don't know. Mike Perry, a Darren Till, a Colby Covington, you know what I'm talking about, people that really know how to be vocal both in interviews and social media, then it may have been a completely different story. Um, if you're looking, you know, looking at his record, the biggest win on his MMA record, it will be now that Conor McGregor victory uh, back in the day. Um, so, you know, I don't know how to overall, I guess, um, summarize um, his career at, at this stage maybe uh, I guess someone that was an overall really well-rounded combat sports athlete just given the fact that he competed in boxing kickboxing and MMA he got to the very top level uh, but never broke through into the the elite group of fighters um, but all credit to Joe Duffy and what he's meant for Irish combat sports and I wish him all the best for the future yeah and one of the nicest guys that I think I've ever dealt with in the sport. Mm. I remember being in Dublin in October 2015. He was all set to main event at the Three Arena in Dublin against Dustin Poirier um, on a night that really could have been a breakout night for him. Um, and he got flash KO'd in sparring um, and ended up having to pull out of that fight just a day or two before the weigh-in. Um, and I was I was fortunate enough to be the first person to actually get, get a sit-down interview with him after all of that had actually transpired. And he was absolutely distraught. And, um, you know, it was one of the harder interviews I've done because you could just see, you could just see him just sort of just breaking down in front of me. It, it was, it was really hard. And um, for someone who, who is such a nice guy to have the biggest opportunity of his career, just evaporate, just a mere matter of days away from, from fight night was uh, was was pretty tough. He eventually got Dustin Poirier at UFC 195, um, but that was a little bit further down the line. It was sort of at the start of the following year. He ended up losing that on the scorecards, and uh, he only picked up two more wins after that. You know, he had that three fight run to uh, to round out his career. Wish him well, whatever he's going to do next. Joe Duffy, top man, really nice guy, and uh, a pretty handy fighter as well. Um, someone else is pretty handy, Brett Johns. Um, another another former Cage Warriors champion. They're all over the place. These Cage Warriors guys um, got a win against Montel Jackson. Had to come from behind uh, and get that win. Good performance from him. And uh, London Shoot Fighters Amir Albazi uh, producing a really impressive performance again. He might consider himself a little unlucky not to have got himself a bonus. Great performance against former TKO fighter up there in Canada, Malcolm Gordon, uh, finishing him via first round uh, triangle choke. Um, good performance from him. Good performance from Brett Johns, and uh, yeah, decent fight card overall. Lots going on. We almost we almost alternated finishes and decisions all the way through the night. It was one of them where it kept you on your toes all the way through. Yeah, it did. I'm glad you mentioned Amir Al Bazi. He's someone I kind of uh, mentioned on last week's show. The Prince. Um, I've had an opportunity to interact with him a little bit. Uh, when I was kind of going to London Shoot Fighters, you know, when I was based in London, uh, mostly to kind of interview Michael Ben and Page, who is their kind of their marquee, their star uh, product. But like I mentioned last week, he is signed to Paradigm Sports Management, the same management company 
um, that Conor McGregor, Michael Venom Page, Michael Bisping, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson uh, are all part of. And he's definitely someone people should keep an eye on. He's, he's a great fighter. He's young, fantastic prospect. Seems like he knows um, how to market himself. And, and someone I'm really personally excited to see how far he can go in this sport, especially now that he's in the UFC. But yeah, outside of that, Simon, um, as far as you know, digesting so many cards back to back, it's very easy sometimes when you can perhaps feel a little bit of fatigue, whether you're a member of the media or as a fan, um, when there's so much to consume in the sport, let alone just the UFC over the last kind of week or 10 days or wherever it's been. But I thought we got enough action, we got enough finishes, we got enough moments, and most importantly, we got a lot of resolution, um, mostly uh, being with the flyweight division. That's all back on track now. We finally have a, a UFC 125-pound champion. And then outside of that, we've got a ton of prospects to now look after uh, you know look look out for moving forward because you know these opportunities especially in uh during the pandemic man who knew when any, any of these fighters were going to get an opportunity to fight again for their local regional promotions a lot of them got signed to the ufc made their debuts and a bunch of them uh, made a good account for themselves so uh good good on those guys yeah absolutely two really good fight cards from the ufc down there in fight island now this weekend You've got more fights than you can shake a big sticky stick at. It is absolutely brilliant this weekend. Bellator are back. They've decided to call these things Fight Sphere, which I haven't quite worked out. It just made me think of Tina Turner and the Thunderdome. I put something on my Instagram about that earlier this week. But um, again, it's a stripped down card. I think what we've we got, we've got seven fights. Ricky Bandejas, who I'm quite high on at Bantamweight. He's taken on Sergio Pettis, uh, Jason Jackson, Jordan Main, Taiwan Claxton, who's a bit of a prospect at featherweight, looking to bounce back after being bounced out of the featherweight tournament. Uh, and Aaron Pico kicking off that main card. He's must-see must TV. Uh, you'll be able to get that um, on Sky Sports, I believe, uh, here in the UK. So, uh, And also, Ruffian Stotts is on the, on, on the preliminary card as well. He's always worth watching as well. But all of that is just the... Just an hors d'oeuvre for the main the main dish on Saturday night, Sandu. The final Fight Island card, and you led it, you you, you set it up perfectly in the uh, in the intro to the show. Probably the biggest Fight Night card we've seen in a long, long time. And the main event is a banger. Former UFC middleweight champion Robert Whittaker against Darren Till. It's going to be huge. Yeah, I'm buzzing for this one. Robert Whittaker versus Darren Till. Woo! For a fight night main event? Are you kidding me, man? I mean, talk about a couple of guys who have fought for champions. Robert Wick has been a champion. They've been involved with pay-per-views. They've headlined pay-per-views. And what a, what a great way to end this stint for the UFC on Fight Island. I'm absolutely buzzing for this fight, mostly because of the potential of a Brit in Darren Till. If he wins here, if, he, if Darren Till can defeat Robert Whittaker. He, I'm, in my opinion, should fight for the title next. He should then go on to fight the winner of Israel Adesanya versus Paolo Costa. And I know anybody else probably listening in might may chime in and say, well, hang on a second. What about someone like Jared Cannonier? Well, look, Jared Cannonier, another guy in the middleweight division who's got a great win streak, three fights in a row. But look at the names. David Branch, Anson Silva, and Jack Manson. I would rather... And I would uh, value 
Darren Till's wins over Kelvin Gastelum and then Robert Whittaker higher than those three. That's just my opinion. And if you start to kind of look at the other ingredients that the UFC tends to look for when they're putting together main events that are going to headline pay-per-views, you look at Darren Till, who's been the king of social media during this pandemic, and then you look at his back and forth with Israel Adesanya, and then he represents a, a part of the world in the UK that the UFC is so invested in. There's absolutely no chance in hell that the UFC doesn't make Darren Till versus the winner of Adesanya versus Costa, in my opinion. So a lot riding for Till in this fight. It's going to be a big ask to defeat Robert Whittaker, who doesn't take too many L's. And it's going to be the toughest fight of Darren Till's career to date, in my opinion. But yeah, if Darren Till can beat Robert Whittaker, he is shooing for a title shot next. Yeah, I tend to agree. If you're playing... Um... You uh, MMA form poker, I think, as you say, the hand of Kelvin Gastelum and uh, Robert Whittaker trumps the hand of uh, Jared Cannonier, even though he's got the three. Um, I think I think that is a stronger hand, and I think it's I think it's a more sellable fight as well. I mean, Jared Cannonier, good, solid fighter, dangerous fighter, but he's not going to shift pay per views in the same way. That, that Darren Till would. Darren Till versus Adesanya is a is a is a matchmaker's dream. I think that's absolutely perfect. It'll win it will win at the box office and it should deliver a great stylistic matchup on fight night as well. Um we've got so many good fights on this card, Sandu. I mean Robert Whittaker, just very quickly, he's bouncing back from a little bit of time he sort of stepped away. He's he's looking to reinvigorate himself and get back in. I have to say they have media day today and he looks super loose and super relaxed. He seems to be in a really good place heading into this. As is Darren Till. Um, they seem to have a, a healthy respect for each other. And I think their senses of humor mesh quite well. Um, so there's, no, there's certainly no bad blood there. But um, they both seem in a really good place mentally heading into this. And it just all goes well for a, a really good fight on Saturday night. Co-main event is a couple of legends. Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Antonio Ruggiero Nogueira. They fought twice before. Shogun's won them both. Um, but I think this is this is basically a retirement fight for Little Nog. Don't know whether Shogun's going to hang him up after this, but uh, this is this is one for the hardcore Sandu. I think uh, I find it hard to back against Shogun, but at this stage in their careers, you just don't know, dear. No, you don't. I, I like the fact that this this fight's a part of this card because, like you said, it's for the hardcores, it's for the long term and the long time fans of the sport definitely kind of ticks that nostalgia box and you got a couple of guys here who who knows how much longer they're going to be fighting for right it could be this could be both their last fights realistically um it's um it's it's funny that marisa shogun who are like not too long ago i thought to myself he's he's starting to put a nice win streak together again is, is he trying to push for another title shot and then obviously you know he lost to anthony smith that kind of derailed that hype and then since then he got that knockout of Tyson Pedro and then a, and a bizarre draw or a split draw against Paul Craig. Look, Marisa Shogun, who has already done it, he's been to the top of the mountain. He's been UFC champion. He's now 38 years old. So yeah, like you said, not too many more fights left for him. Uh, I don't know how much more gas he's got left in the tank. I will favor him uh, to win. Um, I think he'll beat Lil Nog, uh, but it'll definitely be nice to see them both be, given that's kind of co-main event slot, on uh, on a card of this stature, which says a lot about what the UFC thinks of those guys. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it gives them that gives them that platform one more time. 
Really interesting heavyweight fight is going to lead into that one. Fabricio Vadum, the former UFC heavyweight champion of the world and a guy who not all that long ago was being discussed um, as the greatest heavyweight in MMA history. Not just UFC history, MMA history. You look at the skins on his wall, he has beaten a who's who of heavyweight greats over the course of his career. He's welcoming the mauler, Alexander Gustafsson, to the heavyweight division. Gustafsson came out today at media day and said, I've sparred Fabricio Verdum and he didn't like it. Um, he didn't want too much more of it. We basically called the sparring session short. Gustafsson knows that he can light up Fabricio Verdum on the feet. This is going to be a fascinating fight. I'm actually siding with the Swede on this. I've gone, uh, I've, I've registered all my picks for the MMA junkie um, staff picks and uh, I've gone with Alexander Gustafsson to spring what might be a bit of an upset against Fabricio Verdum, who I don't know how motivated he is going into this one. I, I tend to wonder whether he he's sort of winding things down now and he's maybe looking elsewhere for uh, you know for his next his next challenge in life. But getting in there with the Mauler, he's uh, he's going to be up against it on fight night, and I think the Swede might just get this one done, Sandu. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago that Verdum is essentially pleading for the UFC to to release him when he had that infraction um, with USADA and then, and then got the suspension. Obviously, that's not something that the UFC um, was going to do. And he's come back, he, and he took that loss against Alexei Olenek. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's 42 years old. I don't like this fight for him uh, at all, actually. I, I actually think that Alexander Gustafsson, being the younger guy with, I guess... Um, a little bit more, I guess the best way of phrasing it is he, he doesn't have the mileage that uh, a Fabrizio Vadum has, right? And I actually like the fact that, you know, Gustafsson's taken some time out. He doesn't have to worry about cutting any weight. And we all know that when he's firing on all cylinders, he can compete with the absolute best. I mean, he's been in two of the, the greatest fights of all time uh, with the first John Jones fight and then the, the decisions that he lost against Daniel Cormier as well. Um, this is great move for Alexander Gustafsson because if he wins, then who knows? Is it a fast track to a title, a title shot, a heavyweight down the road? One or two more wins? It definitely opens that door for him, especially given the fact that he's a, a known commodity in the UFC. He's been a part of some of the biggest pay-per-views and the best fights in UFC history. And... Even if he wins or loses, there's always that back door back to 205, just given how, how things may shake out. We don't know what the situation is with John Jones. Um, if the UFC are going to want to try and make an interim title fight, maybe they'll say, okay, uh, we'll have Dominic Cruz fight Alexander Gustafsson. Who knows? I think Gustafsson's got a lot of options. I'm just glad to hear that his retirement, and we talked about MMA retirements a lot here, they don't tend to last, but for him, it wasn't just the way he wanted to leave the sport. And he looks like he's got his motivation back. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. This is a def It's incredible that Fabrizio Verdun versus Alexander Gustafsson is only, you know, not even the co-main event. It's a part of the main card, which just tells you how bonkers this card is. It really is. It really is. This card is, is absolutely stacked to the gills. Carla Esparza is taking on Marina Rodriguez at strawweight. Uh, Esparza, of course, the former, well, she's the inaugural women's strawweight champion, the first ever 
women's strawweight champion in the UFC, taking on Marina Rodriguez, who I think is on a bit of a run. I think she might be up there challenging for a belt in a not-too-distant future. Scottish light heavyweight Paul Craig, he, of the last gasp submission victories, has been handed yet another Russian to deal with. He's got, I don't know what the UFC matchmakers have got against this guy. They're either giving him these Brazilian grapplers or Russian... Russian Sambo artist. He's facing Gadzimurad Antigulov. Uh, Alex Oliveira always brings always brings some excitement and a bit of dancing in the prep point. He's taking on Peter Sabota. We don't know whether he's going to be repping Poland, Germany, or Jamaica in this fight. If you know the backstory behind that, um, he got tired of being asked whether he was representing Poland or Germany because he. I think he's he's German raised but Polish born. I think that's how it works. Um, and he got tired of upsetting one country by saying he was representing them. Uh, so he just said, sod it, I'm just going to represent Jamaica because I kind of like the reggae music. So so that's that's what he did. And uh, I don't know if he still is flying the flag of uh, Jamaica and wearing the Jamaican fight kit, but he certainly used to. Um, good grappler as well. So that might be an interesting one if it goes to the mat. And the first fight of that main card, we mentioned him earlier, Kamzat Chimaev, who I understand some people have been calling Kabig. Kabig, because he's a big Kabig. It's it's a ma- it looks better on paper than it does when you say it. I kind of regret saying it out loud, to be honest. But anyway, he he's he's a very dominant grappler. He had a great performance against John Phillips, taken on Reese McKee. There's a great video. Uh, Graham Boylan, the Cage Warriors president, actually sent me the video um, of Reese McKee thinking he was doing a Q and A session uh, with the Cage Warriors president um, about an upcoming title fight at Cage Warriors. And he just casually asked him about, what did he think of uh, Jorge Masvidal stepping up on six days notice uh, to fight on Fight Island? And he's like, yeah, no, that's, I thought, you know, that's, that's what fighters do. And he said, would you do that? He said, oh, absolutely, I'll do that. He said, well, you better pack your bags in because you're fighting on Saturday. And the look on his face was absolutely priceless. Um, so he's in there against Kamzat Chimaev. We've got loads on the undercard, Sandu. Another Cage Warriors champion. Jai Herbert is taking on Francisco Trinaldo. That is a tough, tough assignment. And a favourite of ours, I think, from events we've covered in the past, the sharpshooter, another former Cage Warriors champion, Nicholas Dalby, is taking on Jesse Ronson. It was going to be Danny Roberts. Um, Danny Roberts, unable to unable to fight. It's going to be Nick Dalby versus Jesse Ronson. Um, what do you reckon on that fight? And what do you reckon on... Uh, the other the other fights on that undercard. There's there's certainly plenty to get stuck into. There certainly is tough fight for Nicholas Dalby. I actually had some time um, to spend with Jesse Ronson last year when I was working for the PFL. Uh, really good guy he is. Simon, honestly, I've been so engrossed with this absolutely jam packed stacked main card. I haven't even given myself time to kind of really get myself engrossed and and absorb this incredible prelim card you got Betch Cahaya she's always fun and then and then opening the, the, the curtain jerker opening the show you got Nathaniel Wood he's fighting John Castaneda and um, you know look uh, just to kind of just quickly speak on Nathaniel Wood he's coming off his very first loss in the UFC um, I'm very eager to see um, how he bounces back there but man I really want to put a focus back to someone you mentioned earlier on, Simon, a few times on the show today, and that's Kamzat Kimaev, or Chimaev. I think a win over Reese McKee, and he is then going to be, I think, the front runner 
for prospect of the year especially if you if you take into consideration if he gets a win on saturday that's what two wins in the ufc in a matter of 10 days especially if he finishes reese mckee too which will be you know very very hard to do a tip of the cap to reese mckee by the way talk about a tough first test on, on short notice and you're literally going up against the guy that people are comparing to Khabib Nurmagomedov are you kidding me man um so yeah I'm, I'm I'm very high on Kamzat Kimaev I think we all are at this stage um especially given what he did uh last Wednesday but yeah this is a packed card Simon I don't know I mean I don't know where to look there's 15 fights in in total well, let's see if everyone gets through fight week and passes all their COVID-19 tests and and most importantly um you know passes uh or you know weighs in okay and no one has any mishaps there but but i think this is not just the case of the ufc just trying to uh you know pack out um a broadcast schedule i just think this is the ufc trying to give as many fighters as possible from parts of the world where they couldn't offer fights uh while they were in the apex an opportunity to earn some money um and, and keep them busy um obviously there's only so many spots on a fight card this is their fourth event in two weeks on Fly Island. Um, we don't know what the, the state of the UFC situation is going to be in Nevada. Things in America with COVID-19 are not getting any better whatsoever. It's not a good situation over there. Uh, so good thing that the UFC has this relationship with the, the Emirates and they're able to. And now they've got the facility all set up. Uh, they've got the experience. They've got their reps in. Uh, they've got the logistics and the protocols and the personnel on the ground there to pull off events. So we'll see how quickly they come back after this event. It may be sooner than that kind of earmarked September schedule. But yeah, I'm just I'm just overall really excited about this particular card, um, bringing it back around to the potential of Darren Till. This is the Brit Pack. We're both British uh, members of the media, albeit in different roles at the moment in our stages of our career. But we both know when there is a Brit who is either fighting for a title or is a champion, and we've only got one case of that in Michael Bisping, in this sport, things just pick up. There's more work. There's a buzz. It helps, you know, level up the sport back home in the UK. So there's a lot riding on Darren Till um, getting a big victory over Robert Whittaker. Um, but like I've always said, and I think this is the reason why Darren Till took this fight in the first place, big risk big reward and I think the reward for him if he wins is a title shot yeah definitely I think uh, it could be a big big night for uh, for British MMA uh, and certainly for Darren Till we've got seven Brits all together on this card you've got Darren Till you've got Paul Craig and Reese McKee they're all on the main card then on the prelims you've got Jai Herbert Tom Aspinall making his UFC debut uh, coming out of Darren Till's gym the, uh, the heavyweight prospect you've got uh, Mike Grundy Training partner of Darren Till, take uh, he's in he's in action at featherweight against Movsar Evloev, and then uh, you kicking off the night you've got Nathaniel Ward versus John Castaneda. Bit disappointed for that fight to be honest because it was going to be Nathaniel Ward versus Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, cousin of Khabib, undefeated, making his UFC debut. Obviously, with everything that has happened in the Nurmagomedov family recently, they have uh, they've decided that. They'll save their UFC debut for a little bit further down the line, um, quite understandably with the passing of Abdul Manap uh, Namagomedov uh, earlier this month. So, um, yeah, Nathaniel Wood gets replacement opposition in John Castaneda. This is going to be a cracking fight night to finish that run at UFC Fight Island. And uh, then we'll be back 
for a run of shows in Las Vegas. But as you say, I don't think it'll be long before they're looking at maybe coming back out to Fight Island again. We'll have to wait and see. A stacked set of fights and a stacked show here on the Brit Pack this week. Really quickly, Sandu, give us the rundown on how everyone can get in touch with us and uh, we'll move the show forward. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the main place we want everyone to uh, subscribe is the BritPack.substack.com. For those of you listening on Apple Podcasts, drop us a rate, drop us a review. That really helps us uh, you know, get more of a higher profile on the Apple Podcast uh, platform. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, uh, Google, we're available pretty much everywhere. And if there's a rating review system available, then the minute you stop listening to this show, just take about 30 seconds of your time. Give us a, a thumbs up, a heart, a double tap, a rating, star system, whatever the case may be. It just helps us. It's super appreciative. And if you want to follow either myself or Simon, I'm Sandu MMA across the board, Facebook, MMA, Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. And we are at the Brit Pack MMA on social media, especially on Twitter. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, we've been getting a few a few extra followers on the Twitter account, which isn't the most active Twitter account you'll find online. But uh, that is where we obviously push out where uh, we push out alerts when the show goes live. But the best way to find out is to get signed up on the email uh, list on Substack. As soon as the show goes live, you'll get an email and then boom, you're straight on the show and uh, it'll play it through whatever podcast player you have as well. It's pretty smart. So, um, yeah, another pack show this week. We've got a pack weekend of fights. Bellator Friday night, then UFC Fight Island 3, Darren Till in the main event. Can he beat former UFC champion Robert Whittaker and move one step closer to becoming only the second Brit to hold a UFC championship belt? It's going to be great finding out. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be back to unpack it all next week. Mm-hmm.